Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Taryn, what was it like to be in the hosting seat for the past week? I took a hiatus. I haven't done this in two years. Well, I mean, it, it reinforced why you're the goat of this stuff. So I, uh, I feel like I have a lot more work to do, and I'm glad you're back. Speaking of goats, um, I have a giant beard, so I kind of look like a goat right now. And speaking of other people with beards, John Nucci, Mr. Viral. What's up, buddy? Hey, Dan. How's it going? Listen, John, Yeah, at some point, we're going to be working for you when you have threads like this that go viral with this degree of uh, regularity. John, what are we up to? 3.5 million views on your golf thread? It's getting there. I think it was 3.3 or something last I checked. Uh, 3.3, uh, but who's counting? But who's yeah, counting? Yeah, yeah. So this is what we're going to do for today. We're going to, you know, at least the last episode I was on was on the Pat McAfee specialty episode with Dan. I listened to all the episodes in the interim. Taryn, you did a great job. You were on two episodes, Mike, Evan, Jason, Morin, and Evan. It's a whole uh, collaborative effort. Um, So love seeing it. We're going to try to go back to our headline stories. And and, uh, I love the way last week worked. We're going to try to put more people in the hosting seat and uh, let's just cover some more topics. So no update on the Brandon Miller stuff, you know, besides the statements that came out. Uh, No updates on Johnson versus NCA. We're not going to talk about the hockey trade deadline that Evan and Jason tried to get into, but I know there have been updates in there, but we're not going to talk about hockey. Okay. Three topics, three topics only. We're going to talk about Miami and the NIL situation, what I think is the biggest story in sports. If you're a golf fan, John's going to implore you in his viral thread, the latest stuff in the Live PGA front. And our guy, I think we could call him a friend of the show, Pat McAfee, has now officially been served. So we're going to revisit um, you know, the last mega podcast Dan and I did. We appreciate it and uh, say hello to all of our new listeners. The numbers for that episode were fantastic. So we thank you all for leaving us that fantastic five-star review. The people that keep saying very kind things about Taryn in the uh, reviews, keep doing it. Taryn loves it. And um, yeah, at some point, someone's going to be a hair deal. So I uh, appreciate Dan, left that review. Dan, I don't want to be caught up in a, in another defamation lawsuit, but I think I saw on McAfee's Twitter that retweets equals friend of the show. So you've been retweeting that. Yeah. Well, McAfee can be considered a very good friend of the show if he retains uh, yours truly to be his lawyer, but I don't I don't think he's going to do that. We will talk about it. We won't, won't bury the lead. But OK, let's let's start here. So, John, you're going to talk about live PGA stuff. We're going to talk about McAfee at the end. Taryn, you are our NIL guy. You know, I thought of you. We have all in our little nerd world of sports law. And if you're listening to this, congrats, you're a sports law nerd or you're at least a fly on the wall to this nerd conversation. I'm going to pat ourselves on the back collectively. We pegged that one of two schools would be with the first violation with some degree of confidence. Taryn, who, who did we say, just for the record? I believe we mentioned Florida after the Jaden Rashada scandal. And then we mentioned Miami because of uh, John Ruiz. I'd put Cuse on the board as well, but I think they're, you know, they're somewhere in the, in the vicinity. But we said this, we talked about in the last episode, the last big NIL episode with Pete Nakos. We had somewhat of a sense that this would happen. So is it that shocking that it's Miami? No. Is it that shocking that it's probably Florida next? No, not going to shock anybody. But, Taryn, we're going to play it at some point today, which I, I hoped you had re- remembered my note. The Conduct Detrimental Sports book. We'll do it at some point to figure out where the next uh, violation is going to be. But, Taryn, I'm going to give it to you. For those that are kind of coming anew, what exactly uh, did the NCAA find after 19 months of silence on the front? Yeah, well, they announced a uh, negotiated settlement between Miami and the NCAA. So what that means is that they had statement of various allegations that they were making against the Miami women's basketball program and the University of Miami decided to settle those charges 
Katie Meyer, who's the coach of the women's basketball program at Miami, agreed to take a three-game suspension, and there were various other minimizations of how they could um, recruit going forward, meaning official visits and that sort of thing. But the individuals at the center of this are John Ruiz, who is well known to this show, uh, a Miami super booster. Not a friend of the show. Not Not a friend of the show, but we haven't necessarily tried either. But the Cavender twins, who are really one of the two of the faces of NIL, and they, they were ultimately not punished by the NCAA. So the NCAA sending a message here, maybe they said that this shouldn't be considered precedential. It did not reach the level of disassociation, which is one of the ultimate penalties that uh, a a booster could be handed because they would be losing their access to the program. But in this case, they are trying to send a message that however the activity was done, the recruiting process to get the Cavender twins to Miami was not proper. Okay, wait, let's pause here. Very important. Taryn, you set it up. Ruiz involved, Cavender twins. If you don't know the Cavender twins, you should. Those are those Basketball playing twins. They were at Fresno State. They transferred to Miami. I looked at the uh, stat sheet recently. With all due respect to the Cavenders, they're not lighting the world on fire. They're not winning the uh, Heisman Trophy equivalent. I think they have like three three million followers or something on Twitter. So they, even if they're not lighting that on fire, they're certainly lighting social media on fire. They're huge. Yeah. 500,000 on Instagram, yeah. I mentioned it to say that the Cavenders have caused their new school, and I think we could say caused, their new school to suffer some form of NIL violation. We're going to talk about exactly what we're going to call an NIL violation or an impermissible conduct, infraction, whatever you want to call it. But there is some harm that has come in the risk-reward calculus. Miami is not winning a national championship in women's basketball. And certainly there is some reputational harm caused to the university by being the first school ever punished for a we'll called a quasi NIO infraction. John, I'll, I'll give you this one. Some One of our listeners who shall remain nameless, they are very much an insider. Taryn, you probably know who I'm talking about, but someone that is very much on the inside of all things college sports and NIL that is very well connected, wanted us to say on the show, which is totally fair, that this might not be a quote unquote NIL infraction. It might just be your run of the mill, impermissible booster contact infraction. But the NCAA, we can maybe explain why, wants to frame this as the first NIL penalty of the era. John, what do you what do you think about this? It's a contact between a booster and the women's basketball coach and this impermissible meal. It's not really like a pay for play type punishment for NIL. But what do you what do you think about that? Do you think of this as an NIL penalty? Uh, no, I mean, I, I do find it odd that the university uh, subject to sanctions for the actions of a booster and a recruit. I know there were maybe some some text exchange with the coach. I, I understand the NCAA doesn't maybe really have much power over boosters, but if, if schools are going to be subject to sanctions for the actions of two third parties, I, th- I think the, the law should kind of be passed to allow them to facilitate and review those deals. Uh, I know that Texas just passed an amendment to their NIL law allowing schools to do so. So it's, it just seems like other states should follow suit. It, it, unfortunately, it's just going to be impossible to be able to uh, to prove that there's no inducement when there's any kind of contact with recruits before. And even if there truly was no inducement, nothing wrong. I mean, the, the optics and the timing of it are, are it's just going to make the NCAA's ears stand up. They have dinner with a booster. They enroll a few weeks later. They sign an NIL deal a couple months later. And this is probably why the NCAA is adopting this guilty until proven innocent approach, because when you have a situation like that where you can't prove that there were or were not discussions, I mean, 
that uh, seems like their only their only method of, of defense there. Okay, right. so I got to do this really quick. Taryn, John, whoever you can take this, I got to put on my conspiracy hat for a moment. And I think I'm on to something. So I did this for my Fordham Law School class tonight. I, uh, let's just, let's play this out. July 1st of 2021, 19 months, we fast forward. We yeah. get to, uh, and, and I was literally doing the NIL class tonight for my Fordham class. And I'm putting dates on the board. I'm putting the 1950s for the UPenn case, 1980s for the Regents case, 2014 you know, for, you know, the Ed O'Bannon NCA case, 2019 for the California NIL deal, whatever. I get to July 1st. I don't think there was a single relevant date until February 23rd of 2023. That's how important I think this date was that occurred last week when Miami gets punished. I don't really think anything is that, oh, congrats, the NCAA came out with new regs, the collectives exist, blah, 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 but there's no real important date. Now, 19 months go by. The NCAA allows 19 months to go by before they find what their first quasi-NIL punishment, right? Maybe it's not exactly one, but it's close enough to it. Okay, riddle me this, John, Taryn. Someone, someone try to give me an educated answer. Why would they wait 19 months and then announce something on February 23rd of 2023. Riddle me this. Why would they wait so long? Dan, you're probably not even old enough to remember this, but uh, in 1980, right, Reagan uh, ascends to the White House. And right as soon as he's sworn in, then uh, the hostages are, are freed in Munich, uh, the Olympic hostages. That was that was important. Yeah. I, I'm thinking that, you know, Charlie Baker's about to come in. The NCAA is trying to flex their muscles a little bit, show that they're still powerful, show that they exist. Maybe that is the reason that they chose to issue a punishment here. But I just want to say I would agree with the unnamed individual that you mentioned earlier. I don't think that this is really an NIL case. Well, hold on, Taryn. This all plays into this conspiracy theory. And you have nailed what I think it is. And we don't talk about this stuff ahead of time, but that's 100% what I think it is. Florida's investigated for four months. They're one of a dozen schools, according to Sports Illustrated, that's being investigated. And they wait till February 23rd to hit a women's basketball program with a violation. It happens to be John Ruiz, the Cavenders. Everyone's going to hear about this punishment. The Cavenders do a response video, which I don't know if we'll have time for it. I think was um, not the smartest thing for the Cavender twins to do and blame this on. So you, you're scared of women's sports making money, which is completely missing the point here, but neither here nor there. Why do they wait until February 23rd? Because Charlie Baker is taking over. That's that's my response, I think. And I think he's his first cause of action. He'll do uh, our first, uh, I guess, first thing in office. He's going to do like you know, a video to announce that he's here. And he's going to be like, starting with my term in office, I'm going to be going after NIL. The space has kind of gotten out of hand with with agents and this and you know uh, different deals. And I'm, I'm here to try to clean up the space and blah, 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 blah. So the NC for a long time claimed that like amateurism was the thing that they were allowed to kind of police and they made all their punishments around protecting amateurism. The NIL space has become a little wild, wild westy, right? Maybe a little bit of the own, the NCAA's own making, right? They didn't do anything for 19 months. Right. I think this is my conspiracy theory. I think the NCAA knew exactly what they were doing by doing nothing for 19 months, allowing people to make a lot of mistakes, get into that gray area and what they're mm -hmm. going to maybe potentially, possibly, maybe going to say is like, let's Come in. We have to clean up the space. We're allowed to do this. It's not anti-competitive. It's not an antitrust violation. We're just trying to save our sport from these crazy people, uh, these different agents that have no idea what they're doing and getting everyone in trouble and losing, you know, uh, I don't want to speak ill of anybody, but, you know, the Jaden Rashad deal we spend so much time in. Maybe that doesn't happen. And to give the NCAA a little bit of credit, maybe that doesn't happen in a world that's actually being policed by the NCAA. So my conspiracy theory, I'll put my hat on right now. 
I don't think that February 23rd date of the first infraction was a coincidence at all. I do not. So I, under that theory, then they could have just created or allowed a, a situation to kind of fester where all these different types of case studies are available for them to then jump in on. It's not like the, the Ruiz Cavender thing is brand new. It didn't just happen. Obviously, it's very public. He tweeted out the photo. That definitely caught the NCAA's attention. Great case to be your case study. A great case to be the one that this is all messed up. Probably gets 1A and maybe 1B is Jaden Rashada. So I do not think that's a coincidence if Florida pops up next. I don't wish ill upon any program or any schools or any agents, but those are two really high-profile cases. And I'd be shocked if Florida was not, if it wasn't next, it within the top five of violations. But John, you're you're our non-NCA guy here. You're our you're our golf guy. Obviously, you wear a lot of hats for us. But what do what do we think here? I mean, 19 months is a long time to wait. Coincidentally, the week before Charlie Baker's supposed to pop in, that's when you announced the first one. Seems seems like the fix was in. It, it, it does seem like I just I was just talking about optics and timing, and that does seem like a very uh, interesting coincidence. I mean, I not saying I would agree with it or not. I think college athletes should should be able to capitalize uh, as much as they possibly can and get paid sure. while they're able to. But uh, if that if that is the conspiracy theory, I mean, maybe the NCAA uh, Charlie Baker is going to come in and uh, you know be be the white knight to uh, come back and and bring college sports back to to amateurism. March first, twenty twenty two, is when um, Charlie Baker takes over. So, twenty three. Yeah. I don't. I don't particularly think it's coincidence, but that's just me. So, Taryn, I did ask you to. to well, before we move on, because I, I want to do the Conic Detrimental Sportsbook, sponsored by Conic Detrimental, because we sponsor our own sportsbook, because our sportsbook does not exist. Um, before we get there, uh, anything else that we should talk about on Miami and NIL before we figure out where we're going next? Well, do you want to do odds? I want to do the Conduct Detrimental Riverboat World Casino that everyone's going to go to. Speaking of, let's let's do this on the podcast. Stephanie and I were talking. She's like, we should do something again. We should do this meetup. Uh, we had a really fun one in New York City. Um, we are thinking of doing like a, not necessarily like a law school boat cruise, but uh, getting on a, involving a boat in some way, shape or form. Like a Gronk um, like cruise? Kind of like a well, kind of like a Gronk cruise, yeah. Except we're not going to be throwing Super Bowl trophies as in between the uh, Gronk boat and the Brady boat, but like similar. What do we think about this New York City meet, meet and greet, little I'm, little boat action? I'm, I'm all in. I'm all in. You don't have to convince me. Well, John, I I hear you're going to competing sports law uh, ventures potentially. You're going to fly out to New York for this one. You could drive but out. That, to New York? Yeah, well, New York's a 45 minute flight for me. That's an easy one. I I'll I'll, I'll be down in a in a heartbeat. Well, I'm, I'm driving to uh, your previous neck of the woods, Penn State, in, in maybe a month. You think I should be flying to Penn State? I don't think you should be flying to Penn State, but I do think you should at least get a cheesesteak while you're there. Deal. Wait, isn't like Philadelphia the cheesesteak place? Or do we? It get? is. It is. It is. But Happy Valley was known for ice cream. Happy Valley is known for Actually, it is also known for the ice cream. But uh, yeah, cheesesteaks and ice cream. That's why I am you know gained 30 pounds in law schools. So but that's <laughs> neither here nor there. Cheesesteaks, ice creams, and, and bars. That's that's a great, great, uh, great recipe for disaster. <laughs> okay, so so let's do this. We put out a poll, and I did it kind of tongue-in-cheek. I knew what the answer would be. We said, where is the next NIL violation going to occur? ACC, it could go back to the well with Miami. They're probably not. Could go to Syracuse. They could go to a lot of schools. They could be the SEC, Texas A&M, Alabama, Florida. They got a lot of stuff going on uh, in the Southeast. Maybe Big Ten. That's another big conference. Maybe Ohio State did something, Michigan, or other. Right? Could be anybody. Overwhelmingly, across multiple social media platforms, SEC, multiple platforms. Okay, Taryn, why don't you give us the odds, and then uh, we'll go around the horn. We'll figure out what the what the best bet is in our 
fictional betting world. Go ahead, Terry. All right. All right. Here are the odds. I got minus 300 on SEC, plus mm-hmm. 125 on the ACC, plus 250 on the Big Ten, and plus 450 on the Mountain West Conference or <laughs> anyone else that you oh. Mountain West. Now I'm suspicious of why we we've signaled out Mountain West, but but go ahead, John. I so I I mean you mentioned I'm a betting guy. I like to find value. I think I'm going to take the ACC at plus 125. There, I think Syracuse. I, I'm also uh, residing and born and raised in Western New York, so I'm I'm kind of close to Syracuse, and I, I hear rumblings uh, in the news around here and the local news. So I will take Syracuse at plus 125. I know they're are some prominent boosters in the area here that are also outspoken, maybe not as much as Ruiz, but I will take Syracuse at plus 125 there. They also have a very visible booster, so it would not be a very different situation. Dan, what do you got? I don't mind the pick with the ACC. That also could mean potentially the NCAA goes back to the well with Miami. Let's just let's point that out. Don't necessarily think it's going to happen, but we we can kind of call a spade a spade. What happened, John? And I, I'll agree with you that uh, Syracuse is certainly on the radar. But Taryn, where my best bet takes me, I, I I'm ready to put some money down on the SEC. Right? We got some heavy hitters there, and I like your odds. We got Florida, we got Georgia, we got Alabama, we got Texas A&M. Let us not forget, like a couple months ago, we did this whole episode on Jimbo Fisher and and Nick Saban going back and forth and digging up skeletons in the closet. Georgia just won the national championship. Like, could they put their their you know their foot down there? My only hesitancy is like, you know, punishing Miami women's basketball is like not going to really rock the boat on like the mega powers of college sports. If you punish Georgia, and Georgia was like really pissed about it, or you know Alabama, Nick Saban, like they could really make your life miserable as being Charlie Baker the new chair. So they might pick their spots, but for me, we've said it a couple times, and again, I don't I don't root ill for any programs. You just pointed out. The Jaden Rashada situation resulted in $13.8 million reasons to sue somebody. And if the NCAA wasn't investigating Florida, I would, I would, and they, they said that, I would call them um, being dishonest. Like I, they, they have to be investigating that situation. And if I were Florida, you know, or really anybody associated with that particular situation, I'd be very concerned from the agent side to school side, to the collective side. You know, we, we, I know we talked about a little bit on that, you know, the Rashada episode, but I'd be nervous about discovery coming out about what was being said as in between programs, how a deal could fall apart, why a deal was being canceled. We talked like, hey, did any did the fact that Rashada stopped kind of performing as well as these camps, did that factor in? Again, it's all optics at this point. Like the Florida attorney general is not going to come after Florida. It's like it's not going to happen. But if Miami women's basketball got run through the mud a little bit, like rest assured, like there will be a much bigger blowback if Florida football gets in trouble because of something a collective did. So, yeah, I know it's minus 300. John, what is it? I'll, I'll pay the VIG. Is that my saying it the right way? Yeah, hey, you're, you're, you're putting up 300 if, and then you'll just, you'll collect the hundred if it hits, but. As they say, the juice is worth the squeeze here, John. I'm, I'm, I'm good with it. I'm good with my minus 300. I'll lay, I'll lay my 300 to collect my hundred. That's, that's where I'm taking it. Yeah. I think that there's a, a lot more there, Dan, too. You, South Carolina, you have a big NIL quarterback in Spencer Rattler that came over there. Their women's basketball program is fantastic. I think there are a lot of uh, possible SEC um, if the NCAA is choosing to to go after them. I'm going to go plus 250, Big Ten. That's really good value. The NCAA has already shown that it got mad at Jim Harbaugh for buying a recruit a burger or something like that. 
I could see them just not liking him. And uh, and so if so, maybe they come down on Michigan. Maybe they come down on one of the other powers. Uh, Michigan State did a lot of good business in the recru- uh, in the portal. They have sponsored teams. They have those team wide deals. Uh, obviously, we're not hoping for any of this to happen. I'm just uh, you know uh, offering some possibilities. The uh, Michigan had a one more year fund that was to bring back players that might have left, like Blake Corum. So a lot of possibilities there as well. Or Minnesota. Or Minnesota. They could go down. They could get the death penalty. Good. Nebraska, too. No, no, (laughs) no. Um, Taryn, I like it. We got to talk about the Big Ten. And then, uh, Taryn, just out of curiosity, do you you have any inside information on the Mountain West Conference? You seem to be sick. They just have beautiful campuses, I thought. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe we had mentioned them. Yeah, they're up to up to something nefarious. Uh, you know, if you're playing one o'clock East Coast games and you have generates uh, like me and John and Taryn, do you do you watch some Hawaii games? Uh, I yeah, of course. I was used to be a big Timmy Chang fan, a big uh, Colt Brennan fan, and yeah, now Brennan, uh, yeah. now they kind of suck. But you know. Hawaii overs at midnight to try to clean up all your losses for the last two days was always the move. Well, I had some players. Ashley Lalee. Do you guys remember him? Broncos wide receiver way back when. Who? What? What's the name? Ashley Lilly. There's some uh, name sounds familiar, but I, I remember Colt Brennan from Hawaii. That's about it. He had yeah. the yeah. So, anyway. yeah. Timmy Chang team, or was it Colt Brennan? They they got pounded in the Sugar Bowl by Georgia. That was Colt, a fun team to watch. Colt Brennan. Colt Brennan. Yeah. Okay, so uh, let's let's keep it there. Listen, we we just call like we see it. Miami thing's a really big deal. Again, the 19-month wait period, Charlie Baker era, NCAA. We didn't think that they were just switching this burden on everyone, guilt until proven innocent, and hiring new people just to do nothing. We expected it to happen. And I, fortunately, uh, I do hear some things. Uh, so we'll see what happens next. But uh, uh, I don't know. Everybody stay tuned. Okay, moving on. So, John, you are probably the most famous person on this podcast right now. So, listen, you had a thread that went viral. I want to give you all the credit in the world. John, your, your thread discusses kind of these some unique portions and live contracts. Um, let's break down the thread a little bit. And then I want to get into kind of where we are in the, the litigation and, and kind of what's coming on the horizon. So take it away, John, tell everyone about your great research and uh, why everyone in the golf universe, literally everyone is talking about John Ducci. Yeah. I, so on Saturday, I tweeted out a thread of uh, some restrictions that are included in uh, certain live players contracts um, I pulled from the recently filed uh, amended counter uh, claim of the PGA Tour. The threat obviously blew uh, blew up um, over the next couple of days. It's got three and a half million views almost, and it, it's just interesting. A lot of these are are things that people obviously didn't know. Uh, and I had a, a ton of people in my comments saying, you know, well, when you make a hundred, two hundred million dollars, it's going to come with these conditions and you know, I, I couldn't agree more. I'm just, uh, I'm not saying for the amount of money that lives paying that they shouldn't demand some of these things, but uh, a lot of these guys were, were trumpeting everything but the money for years about why they were leaving. And then there's all these different uh, uh, restrictions that they signed on to, granting them exclusive licenses, live retaining sole discretion in the number, location, dates of events, uh, wearing live apparel at non-live events. So there, there's a ton of different ones. There were 12 different ones and it got quite a bit of buzz in the golf space. You know, people can, you know, if you look up John online, he's Jay Nucci 23 you can look up the thread you can also look up all the very influential people retweeting him from uh, Barstool to CBS. Where is Shipnuck based? What is he? Is he's like his own? He's like Shipnuck.com? Yeah, it's, it's called the the, uh, the Fire Pit Collective. He's on his own. He's on his own island now, right? Kinda, he's, yeah. 
He writes books about uh, Phil Mickelson and then almost gets put in ditches when Phil Mickelson reads read said book. That's yeah. the guy, John, right? That's the guy that had the comments to Phil that were kind of like not off not off the record, but Phil claimed they were off the record. Yeah, that was the initial uh, kind of the, the blow up with Mickelson last year when he took a bunch of time off. That was that was Alan Shipman. He's kind of he's been kind of liking a couple of your stuff, John. He's, he's trying to get on John Nucci's radar. Yeah, yeah, he followed me. He's uh, liked a few of the tweets, retweeted a couple of them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's on the radar. Hopefully, John, uh, might hopefully not on the Saudis' radar, but it's on it's on Shipnuck's radar. Well, John, this is pretty good. You're on the radar. I don't know if you want to be on the the bad radar of the Saudis, but listen, we're here. Of of these twelve contract provisions that you tweeted out, and we don't have to go over this long. Is there any uh, in particular that you think stand out that our listeners should know about? I mean, there's obviously. Obviously, you know, I think you talked about it, you know, maybe it was offline, but this not isn't necessarily new information, but I don't think anybody had compiled it the way that you did in the context of this particular case. Yeah, I, I, there, there are a couple. Um, the first one is that players must play in every live event as a fundamental con- uh, condition of their contract. Uh, and also live retains discretion in how many events that they play. Uh, live has, as I mentioned, already exercised that discretion. They increased the number of events from eight to 14. That's not including uh, also the four majors. So these guys are likely going to be playing in 18 events. Um, I think that's interesting because one of the biggest reasons that all of these golfers were giving for leaving was the freedom to make their own schedule. They wanted to play less tournaments. They wanted less travel and more time with their family. Now, all of a sudden, they're playing 14 mandatory events in Singapore, in Saudi Arabia, in Mexico, in England, in the United States. They're all over the world. So it seems like they've essentially signed on to more travel not less. Uh, and they're, they're all over the world. Uh, the other one that was interesting that a lot of people in the comments found very interesting was number 11, which is that uh, players are not allowed to make uh, basically public defamatory statements that would affect the public image of defined term in the contract of relevant person. And a relevant person in that context includes live shareholders, which would be the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So effectively, mm-hmm. Live players are not allowed to make statements, at least the ones that are subject to this this contract term, that are defamatory or might uh, affect the public image of Saudi Arabia. So uh, that one was particularly interesting, uh, both for me and for for a lot of people in the comments that like that one. That one was good. Uh, One that I found really interesting. Number four, players must agree that they will not enter into any conflicting contract. You elaborate on this a little bit, that the PGA's competing event policy is the foundation of uh, LIV's antitrust claims. So how do you think that that's going to affect the uh, the lawsuit as it currently stands? Yeah, Taryn, you're absolutely right. So the as you said, the players must agree that they will not enter into any conflicting contract. Uh, and that is defined in a way that would essentially mean that they are not allowed to uh, renew their memberships with the PGA Tour. Uh, and the PGA Tour's competing event policy is kind of the foundation of LIV's antitrust claims. And that essentially says uh, that what a lot of players were arguing is that they can't play other events because while PGA Tour tournaments are going on, because the PGA won't allow them to. This would effectively be the same thing. So it's a lot of live players that were leaving saying they wanted the freedom to play whatever tour they want, and they're independent contractors, and they can do what, you know, they should be able to go and play whatever they want to play and whatever tour uh, but if, if they're subject to that conflicting contract clause, that might mean that they can't do that. So that, that one I also found particularly interesting. So let's let's hang on the, the one that you said, John. I, I find that to be interesting. So again, it's number 11 in John's thread. 
Players must not make statements or commit acts in public forums that are false, defamatory, slanderous, or, or that may vastly affect the reputation, public image of any relevant person. Okay, got it. Now, I, you know, and I think a lot of people maybe that haven't been following the Live PGA stuff so closely, I think people remember like the first day when the Live stuff happened and everyone was being asked in front of the mic, like, what do you think about taking the money to go overseas? And, and John, I remember you and I had an episode where like, these are some really like awkward conversations, some awkward golfers, like no one can say they all have the same manicured line, like. I'm just a golfer. I just play golf. And I'm like, well, someone like maybe they can just say how they feel and be just a little more straightforward and speak like a human being. And like to no shock, like here's a contract clause that says right there that they cannot speak, you know, can't speak slanderous or defamatory. What's funny is like you guys know this, right? Like the truth is an absolute defense in real defamation cases. But if you read this statement, right, it says in public forums that are false, comma, defamatory, comma, slanderous, comma or that may adversely affect the reputation. So normally in our normal like de- def- defamation stuff, we'd be like, oh, you can say whatever you want, as long as it's true, truth is an absolute defense. Not how this is worded. This appears to be worded in such a way that even if it's true, it can't adversely affect someone's reputation. So let, let's let's make up a random person like Joe Smith. And Joe Smith actually abused somebody and actually had done something really terrible in his past. Now, if I went on a podcast, and I said, yeah, remember that time that Joe Smith abused that woman and everyone forgot about it? Like, I really haven't said anything false. Uh, it's true. But it would adversely affect his reputation. So right. if you're wondering, like, well, some isn't some of the stuff that, that people talk about Saudi Arabia, isn't that stuff true with the journalists and this? They can't say any of that. So I thought that was pretty interesting the way you found it. So, John, certainly credit to you. Yeah, I wanted to ask you one other thing that you mentioned near the end of the thread, and it's a little bit forward looking. You said in August of last year, uh, Judge Beth Freeman, who's overseeing the case, remarked about these live contracts that they lock up players uh, in ways that the PGA Tour never imagined. They're so restrictive. How do you think that point also affects the case that they were making uh, against uh, P- the tour? And then second, do you think that we could see the PGA Tour become a little bit more restrictive in future contracts? Uh, I think it, it, it certainly affects their their claims in the sense that it, it shows a little bit of maybe a hypocrisy, claiming that the, the reason that they're leaving is because they're under uh, such restraint on the PGA Tour, and then they turn around and at least some of, some of them sign contracts that, that, as the judge said, are far more restrictive than anything they were subject to on the PGA Tour. Uh, I think that's that's maybe why people have moved on from guys like DJ, and they don't really care because... He came out and he just said, yeah, they offered me a ton of money and I took it. Uh, and, and people seem to have kind of moved on from BJ. Um, they're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. He took all the money. And then there's other guys uh, that claimed that we were so we were under such restrictions on the BJ tour and weren't able to make our schedules and weren't able to do anything. And that's why we left and it had nothing to do with the money. And then, you know, they, they turn around and, and sign a contract that uh, it puts them under more restriction. Right. Um, so obviously, I think I think it, it's it's a little bit of it's a little hypocritical. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. And do you, so do you think that the PGA tour could be more restrictive in future negotiations? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think that they are now moving towards, uh, a lot more player influence. Uh, Rory has taken a, a pretty strong uh, leadership position, uh, on the player council there. Uh, they are, are increasing the, the prize pools. Uh, they are trying to do everything to keep their, uh, kind of stars uh, happy. Uh, so I, I can't foresee them implementing anything that would kind of reverse that trend that they've been working towards recently. John, let's let's do this. I think we my understanding is that we have some 
Updates on the case on the horizon. We have some, you haven't been on the show in a little bit to talk about where the case stands, but wherever you want to go, this is what we need to know now and what we need to know in the next couple of days. Yeah, there were two pretty big legal developments in the case in the last couple of weeks. And in addition to all those restrictions, uh, number one, uh, the judge denied Liv's motion to quash the PGA Tours uh, subpoena request for the Saudi Public Investment Fund and its governor, Yasir Al-Rumayan. PGA Tour has sought to depose Al-Rumayan and get certain documents from them since last fall. Uh, Liv relied heavily on the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act to resist that effort, which makes kind of generally makes foreign governments and officials immune from, from being sued in courts. That might sound like it's pretty clear cut in favor of the public investment fund, but uh, there is a commercial activity exception, which is kind of akin to a minimum context test. And basically it says that the public investment fund can't use those protections if they're engaged in commercial activity in the US. To that end, Liv argued that they're kind of a mere passive investor, uh, or I'm sorry, that, that PIF is a mere passive investor in Liv. And the PGA Tour has countered that PIF basically controls all of the day-to-day -day and the major decisions. The judge sided with the PGA Tour, uh, said that PIF is the moving force behind the founding funding and oversight and operation of LIV, and that their actions are indisputably the type of which a party engages in commerce. So I, I, this is going to be appealed. It may already have been. I would be shocked if uh, Judge Beth Freeman, who we mentioned is overseeing the case, does not affirm it it was a pretty well-reasoned 58-page decision. Okay, and John, tomorrow we have a deadline, I think, for the Saudis to, you know, I guess provide their response, their opposition. Um, yeah, the Saudis, the Saudis uh, sought to actually file an amicus uh, brief, but the, uh, their response and, the, uh, and Liv's response uh, is due by tomorrow. Uh, so we'll see that. They might do another midnight drop. A couple of these dropped at midnight last week. Uh, so I'll, I'll make sure I, I check before I go to bed tonight. Uh, but yeah, so there is a response due tomorrow. So we'll have we'll have more news before the end of the week. I, I have a feeling, John, that you're going to be on this podcast uh, in the near future with maybe one of your new high powered super uh, Avengers esque golf friends on the show. So you're free to invite whoever you want, John. You, maybe, you maybe. Uh, OK, John, obviously, you know, you've done a fantastic job. We're going to keep keep uh, our eyes on it. If listen, I'm not. Uh, I, I watched John. You know, I bet on the Honda Classic this weekend. I watched my golf. I'm not in the weeds like you are, and I think very few people. I mean this, just not because you're our guy. Very few people in the country are paying attention to this as as close as you are. So appreciate all your work. Need if you need to find out where John is. John Nucci is Jay Nucci twenty three. Okay, so John, hang with us, Taryn. Let's let's do our last topic. Pat McAfee. Pat was pretty uh, bolded on his show. He goes, people are wondering what my lawyers say. Like. I ain't got him like I see in court, pal. And it was I was getting kind of excited that um, Pat would do a kind of pro se stuff. And then, you know, us here at Conic Detrimental, we could be his kind of shadow lawyers behind the scenes. And then uh, Pat has an announcement today over the weekend. He said he was been she's been served. And then he announces today that he's going to have to hire a lawyer. And now he doesn't like that the Fugazi legal system is going to have to make him hire a lawyer for this kind of, you know, BS complainant. I think that's fair. You know, people are sued for meritless things all the time and you have to hire a lawyer. So I think that's a fair criticism by Pat. But I think Pat has shown that he's not standing down or, you know, he's not caving to, to Brett Favre. He's kind of talking about like, you know, making fun of Favre's lawyer that uh, threatening to bankrupt him. It cost him millions of dollars. And 
the advice that, you know, the, the right advice for Pat is obviously to hire a lawyer and do this the right way. So we are periodically going to check in in front of the show, Pat, and try to give our advice when we can. Um, I have some general advice on on uh, lawsuits, but I think it's a good time. We don't really do this that often. Guys, the things that you do when you get a complaint. What about this? Just the, the practical lawyering side, right? For our people that might get sued, listen to this. We've got a, we got a decent amount of listenership that listen here. They get maybe gay with a complaint. Guys, let's pretend you're students in my class here. Uh, you guys have both passed the bar. Guys, let's, this is litigation 101. A complaint is filed. Then we're going to, well, it's served. It gets served on someone. What What are the possible next steps in this process? Litigation 101 here. I mean, you have a few options. You can you could file an answer. You can file a motion to dismiss. You can file a counterclaim, a pre-answer to mo- motion to dismiss. You, got, you, got, you have a few options. Even before that, I would look at the dates and see when I have to submit those things. I, I would uh, probably want to hire an attorney, first of all, so that I don't have to necessarily deal with it directly. Those are all correct answers. So you guys all you guys all passed this test. There's also a fun one, which uh, I may or may not was uh, was hoping happened with uh, with McAfee and Favre. In most states, I know in New York and I lived up in Mississippi, you have 120 days to serve a complaint after it has been filed. And if you don't do it within that time frame, it's going to be different in, in every state, but they have to refile the complaint. And so I thought it'd be really funny if Pat was like playing like the Carmen San Diego, like, where am I? You can't find me. You can't serve me. And they forced Favre's lawyers to refile. So I thought that would be really funny. But yeah, what's Pat going to have to do here? I mean, if this is, let's just pretend it's a normal state court case and there's no option to remove to federal court, file an answer, right, John? Like you just, you say what, uh, you issue a general denial, you issue counterclaims. If you think the other side owes you money, if you're asking the court for some relief, you have to put it in a counterclaim. You have to ask the court for it. So, you know, if, if McAfee wants to get his attorney's fees paid, he put that's in the, he puts it in the counterclaim, right? He wants the case to be dismissed. I can file a motion to dismiss. Sometimes you file a pre-answer motion to dismiss. Guys, um, we haven't talked about it on this podcast, but the Michael Irvin case, we had news today that Marriott Hotels is filing a pre-answer motion to dismiss. They want to get out of the case. Uh, they claim that Marriott was kind of loosely affiliated with this hotel. It was just kind of a license and that the actual Marriott doesn't really have anything to do with this hotel. So you could have a number of scenarios like that. So for Pat's purposes, yeah, um, you're going to want to issue a denial. Uh, you're going to want to issue, you know, just I would think have a lot of fun with those language because, you know, nerds like us are going to pick it up. But here's the big one, right? Uh, John, Taryn, ready? Federal litigation 101? Yeah. Sure. Okay. State court case. I don't know. Taryn, what state do you live in right now? Right now? Because you're like Mr. World Traveler. <laughs> I live in Minnesota. Okay. John, what state are you in? I'm in New York. You're in New York. Aren't you like a Pennsylvania guy? I, I went to Penn State, but I work in New York. Uh, born and raised in New York. Okay, so that's fair. Let's say there was a litigation. Uh, I am suing uh, you, John, and I'm suing uh, Taryn. So you guys are both co-defendants in this case. That is something where we have different, on different sides of the V, right? It's Dan Lust versus Taryn Charmer and John Nucci. We have different, on, on the right side of the V, we have someone that lives in the state of Minnesota. So the way that federal court works, you either have something, which we're not going to talk about here, like a federal question dealing with something that involves kind of the interpretation of federal law. That's a way to get into jurisdiction federal court or Taryn. Yes, correct. Diversity jurisdiction where the parties are from different states. So our guy McAfee, guys, he's from Indianapolis, right? My, my, my crazy. He's from yeah. Indy. Red Favre's from Mississippi. Those yeah. are the only two litigants that particular case. Boom. No brainer. Send the case to federal court. Now, Taryn, John, whoever wants to take this, why would one want to remove a case to federal court? It's typically a little bit faster. Federal judges have a little bit more time to focus on a case. 
And because Brett Favre is a Mississippiite, we want to get out of state court with the state court judges. We want the federal appointees to pop in who, in theory, are maybe a, a little less likely to be prone to Mississippi politics. So, yeah, there's a number of reasons to get you out there. But, yeah, that's why the federal courts exist, to create a more fair and level playing field for this type of stuff. So, yeah, no brainer. Uh, no brainer for Pat. Remove the case to federal court. Then deal with the rest. I'm going to give you maybe this is a this is the expert class. Um, there might be an option to file a pre-answer motion to dismiss here. Um, there, there is something in these defamation cases. Obviously, we, we're not going to spend so much time on it, but this concept of discovery. Um, if in a pre-answer motion to dismiss with the defendant or, or very early motion to dismiss, one that is done dur during or before the discovery process, what will generally happen, right? The defendants want to get out of the case like, you know, like, Pat, this is a Fugazi lawsuit. This is a meritless lawsuit. This has no bearing. I want to get the case kicked out of court. But if you do it in the middle of discovery, what the what the plaintiffs will say is like, listen, this motion to dismiss is premature. We're still in the middle of discovery. We have we should have an opportunity to investigate and look into these facts as close as we possibly can. So for Pat's sake, I know what Favre is going to say to any early motion to dismiss. He's going to say it's premature. Um, you know, like we have to we have to have an ability to look at the case and see what Pat knew, what he didn't know. If Pat actually knew this was, um, you know, with actual malice, there's some voter fraud defamation cases that we are not going to get into on this podcast. We are not a political podcast, but where there were, in theory, allegedly, reportedly, text messages and different uh, messages exchanged between news people where they knew a particular story that they were reporting on was false, but they did it anyway because they thought it was good news, good for the brand, right? Um, let, let's say if there are text messages like that exist that I don't think exist between Pat, like, yes, that would be pretty bad and that might show actual malice. So I would not advise Pat to file, unless he knows something I don't know about, um, I would not advise him just for the optics of it to file kind of an early premature motion to dismiss and give Pat, give Brett Favre any wins in the public realm. I think let this play out, milk this for content. John, Taryn, you guys are both Barstool people. Do you guys remember this uh, Michael Rappaport litigation? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How entertaining were those depositions? <laughs> they were very entertaining. They were, they were fun to watch. John, brief synopsis on the Michael Rappaport barstool defamation case. Uh, I don't really, that was a couple of years ago. I don't fully remember now. I just remember the uh, Portnoy depositions, uh, how, how fun they were to, to listen to and how uh, he kind of just kind of took, took that attorney to the, to the cleaners a little bit. I think it was, I think he tweeted that he put the attorney in a torture chamber, which I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Taryn, do you recall? I, I can give you a brief one. I think you, Taryn, you're in the weeds. Isn't isn't PMT your, your favorite show? Haven't, haven't you been on record to say that? No, um, but uh, I think that it was because Rappaport got fired, right? Rappaport, Rappaport got fired and he also alleged defamation, but I don't, I don't want to put you guys in the, in the but they, they made those shirts uh, and they were alleging that um, yeah. Michael Rappaport had a certain STD and uh, oh, there was a certain yes. cold yeah. sore in his face that they said was herpes. So he said that this was defamation. <laughs> And the Barstool guys, the same type of defense that McAfee's going to make. Like, we don't actually think he has herpes. We just think it's a really funny thing. Like, it's 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 fun. And, and we we thought this was a joke. It was all said in jest. We don't actually think he has herpes. So, I don't know. Barstool, Pat McAfee was once a part of the Barstool brand. Like, not that much of a shock if the, the main defense he makes here is like, I say everything in jest. I said there was a Fugazi lawsuit. Do real reporters call things Fugazi, right? Like, so I, I think... I think it's a very defensible case. So if you know any lawyers in Mississippi, you can send them our way. But uh, I, don't know, I, I think we can also send them Pat's way. So I think he needs some boots on the ground in Mississippi. My advice. But guys, anything else on the Pat stuff? I find it very interesting. But I, I also think that Favre's lawyers. But actually, wait, time out. Time out. 
Are you guys familiar with the Streisand effect? No, I did see you tweet something about that, but I, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with what it is. What's that? Oh my God. I didn't, this didn't mean to be the educational episode. <laughs> okay. So here's, here's the Streisand effect. Barbara Streisand has this like giant home on the, like a mountainside. And it's like this beautiful home. And there's some, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but there's some like random reporter, like guys, if, if we think that conduct detrimental is a slow, but steady engine, this guy is like got 10 followers. He's got like a private blog, a private like photography blog that no one pays attention to. And he somehow takes some pictures of Barbara Streisand's like mountainside mansion. Okay. So somehow Barbara Streisand finds this picture of a mountainside mansion and like goes after the guy. And she goes, how dare you invade my privacy and take a picture of my mansion and put it online for everyone to see you're invading my privacy. So Streisand effect has become known as this concept of like, Hey, you realize that like, no one really knew about this thing. And maybe by suing and making this a big deal that now everybody knows about it. Wow. It's um, so that's a little bit what Brett Favre's doing. Like the news cycle was over. No one really like, yeah, it's a big story in Mississippi. And to be fair, like, but Brett Favre's irrelevant. Brett Favre is a hall of famer who no one will talk about unless he's involved in this case. Yes. Okay. The allegations happen. We all know Brett Favre's involved in some type of controversy in Mississippi, but by suing Brett, Pat McAfee of all people, Pat McAfee is just, He's bringing it up once or twice a week. So now everybody talks about Brett Favre. So in that sense, like somebody in my replies nailed it. It's like, this is the Streisand effect. Like why on earth would Brett Favre pick of all people, Pat McAfee, who is, you know, so I think it's back- backfired. I don't know can if it's I, Pat's goal, but that's I what borrow your conspiracy hat from earlier a little bit. Oh, of course. Let's hear it. Is it possible that Brett Favre is trying to get some funds so that he can fight the case that he's going to have to, Defend in uh, in Mississippi about funds from McAfee in terms of settlement. Yeah, in, in terms of needing the money to fund his own defense. Uh, it, it could be. It also could just be that McAfee, you know, that Favre thought he'd be sending a message to all these reporters. Hey, don't cover me anymore. I'll even sue Pat McAfee. I went on a show, a fairly high profile show last week, and I won't mention it. You guys will know the show. It's not a show I go on that often. And let's just say the the episode was very good. I think really good conversation about supposedly, allegedly, all this good stuff. The episode was not, uh, when it was ran through uh, quality control, that we were not comfortable airing the episode. So it will be an episode of a, a very high-profile show that will never make it to air. So Brett Favre has one. Um, but Pat, you can be the man of the people and just stand up and just say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just work my way through this. Um, guys, speaking of, um, speaking of like, you're invading my privacy. How dare you do this? Did anybody watch the South Park episode this past week? This, Aaron, this is the Harry and Meghan one? Great episode of South Park. I haven't seen it, but I know it's all it's all over the news. You know, Dan, uh, again, Streisand effect probably a little bit because I I watch South Park on occasion. I haven't watched this season yet. And if that story had not come out that she was deeply hurt by this whole thing, I probably wouldn't have watched it. But I I made sure to watch it. I made Hadley watch it, too. I, I have not watched, I, I, I'm a lap South Park fan. I used to watch it religiously. I made my wife watch it too. And my wife who cares, she, she reads the Meghan Markle stuff and, the, and you know, everything going on. She watched it too. So that episode did numbers because of their response. That's why, that's why we're learning, right? Why Derek Jeter was so good. No comment, no comment. If you say no comment, well, there's no Streisand effect. That's it. Genius. DJ. That's why he was a Johnny Unanimous Hall of Famer, right? Wasn't DJ Unanimous? No, there was one. There was there was there was one holdout. I knew what I, I was. Doing. I will find. I will find who that whoever that is. One day, <laughs> I, I will, will find you, and I will kill you. 
Okay, so uh, let's do this as we wrap. So anyway, Pat, you can uh, listen. You know, we have a good brain trust over here. We're happy to be some shadow lawyers here. Throw us a buck. We'll cover the attorney-client privilege stuff. Okay, what to watch for is sponsored by our friends at Themis Bar Review. Guys, we tell you each and every bar season uh, that Themis is the greatest, the greatest bar prep company in the galaxy. But how about this? We say we have some like amorphous amount of money that we're going to get off for you. Finally, we can tell you what it is. $500 off Themis Bar Review. Listen, they're the top bar prep company in the galaxy. We don't talk about their competitors because they have no competitors because there's no one else in their galaxy in their tier. $500 off. Uh, this is a sign up for the July 2023 bar. Themis is the best. There might be some uh, synergies between conduct and Themis in the near future. If you are a member of Themis, you will get first access to those things, but we can't tell you what those things are. They don't exist yet, but they are in the works. Okay, John, kick us away. What to watch for? My what to watch for, I'm going to stick with the my, my golf brand. Uh, I'm going to go with Full Swing on Netflix if you haven't seen it yet. An eight-part docuseries that uh, kind of chronicles last season on the PGA Tour, uh, which was a great season to follow the PGA Tour, given all of the live uh, drama. Uh, it also profiles a lot of young golfers that uh, some people may not know, uh, rookies and others. Uh, if you're, It's also not a chronological thing, so you can watch any of them in any order. Uh, they're all different. I would recommend watching episode four with Joel Damon. Uh, I think you'll become a very big fan if you do. Yeah, uh, that sounds interesting. I, I've seen that they have that one and they have the uh, the tennis one that have hit Netflix, right? And I'm, I'm interested in both of those. Uh, they're and, on the list. And Drive to Survive. Drive to Survive just came out. Which is still on the list and I have not seen. But my what to watch for, uh, baseball is back. Um, very excited about that. New rule changes. The games have been two and a half hours or less. I'm interested to see how players will continue to adapt, how uh, managers and and the TV people continue to adapt. And then I have one more Duke big week for them. Uh, they're trying to get their first undefeated home schedule uh, since 2014. They face NC State tomorrow night and then a uh, big game down the road at uh, Carolina to wrap the regular season. So we're getting close to March Madness. We'll have to have another pool this year, a conduct pool. We definitely do. Okay. So you guys, I think you know this. My wife, she's lovely. She does not watch sports. She's also scared of like murder mysteries and um, the Murdoch murders. We couldn't do those. There's a new Netflix show, like the ghost in my house or something like that. We couldn't watch that. So I'm like, Rachel, like we can't watch sports. We can't really watch anything. What can we watch? So digging around, I find something on Netflix and I might've stumbled into the greatest thing that no one's ever talking about. Guys, are you familiar with a candy called Pez? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no one knows what I'm talking about because I can see your faces. There is a Netflix documentary called The Pez Outlaw. And it's about this guy who, uh, unbeknownst to us, you and the three of us were all peddling Beanie Babies and Pokemon and all the stuff that everyone was doing. This guy was peddling Pez and he was like the Pez tradesman. So this guy was doing deals and six figures for Pez and Pez dispensers. So wow. it's a... Yeah, your faces are like, what's going on they here? Sold, they sold, uh, who's buying, who's spending that much money on Pez? Black, black market Pez. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, there's there's like, a, you know, it's like baseball cards. It's I don't know, random collectors, like random things. Yeah. So I was doing numbers in Pez. So we stumbled across it last night. And I'm like, Rachel, everything happens for a reason in this world. And the fact that I stumbled across this documentary <laughs> was meant to happen. This thing is amazing. So uh, the Pez Outlaw on Netflix, they don't sponsor the show. But listen, off, off the wall, sometimes I'm not allowed to watch sports. And it's probably good. I need some separation. So we watch the Pez Outlaw. While um, I was uh, doing bar prep last year, I had a hankering for uh, for Pez. And so I ordered some off of eBay. I had like a, a bag full of Pez and then a Buzz Lightyear Pez dispenser. It was nice. 
What company did you do bar prep with? Themis. Best Themis bar, bar review. Me too. Me too. Galaxy. Well, gentlemen, um, excellent job. Uh, listen, well, there's a lot of good things. A lot of good things in sports law. Um, I will say, so. Programming note, I think last week went so well. We're going to try to do more of these solo episodes. Taryn, you did a great job in the A block. I will say, but while, while I have you guys, I noticed a constant theme, and I think you guys are sending a message to me. Taryn, you, you'll be honest with me. You're under oath right now. I, we normally hang around for an hour. You know, we, we play our little games, kind of like the resorts, world, the casino, what to watch for. You guys all did these little tight half an hour episodes. Are you sending a signal that I talk too much, that I'm a little bit of a yenta, that I go on for too long? Is that what's oh. happening here? We were focused on one topic. We own, we spent 30 minutes on one topic. That's that's a significant chunk. Shots fired. I, I take the message. I'm good. We're gonna we're gonna go for an hour on these episodes. We've got to hang out a little bit here. Honestly, on that, time. if anything, it speaks to the fact that you are a great point guard. You move it along better than than I can. I am definitely not moving it along better if I'm taking double the amount of time to just put out as good of an episode. So uh, listen, message received, message denied. These will stay. An hour. Maybe Taryn, maybe we'll make a show called the NIL hour and you'll you'll extrapolate out to an hour. Maybe people want to hang with you for a little bit. How about that? How about that? I want to give a big thank you as we put a close. This will probably be our last episode of the month of February. We are, gentlemen, our most downloaded month in the history of conduct detrimental, and it was not particularly close. So a big thank you to everyone that listens. John, you're going viral with 3.5 million impressions. Total, we've probably done in the history of conduct between all of our various people. I, I did my numbers about a week ago. I'm I'm close to 100 million since we started. Wallach's probably right around there, maybe north of that. But with our whole universe, I wouldn't be shocked if we're close to to you know maybe half billion mark, honestly. So and, um, yeah. And so I want to add that those reviews really help us, especially uh, on Apple. So it, it helps for people to be able to find us, Spotify as well. But if you leave the reviews on Apple, we'll read them on the show especially if they're about how great Taryn is, because we have, uh, again, our reviews got set. We had a couple hundred that went down the drain. We shifted over to our new podcast hosting platform. And uh, Taryn, of our of our new reviews, a lot of them are about Taryn. So I don't know what is going on in the water. None of um, which written by me, but one of them I think Hadley wrote, which is nice. Hadley is, uh, who is Hadley, Taryn? Because uh, I might know this, but I don't know if everyone knows this. Oh, my fiance, yeah. Fiance writing nice things about you. That's good. So people want to go check out the nice things people are writing about. Taryn, if you feel too embarrassed to write an actual review, just leave us five stars. That would be so, so thankful. Um, John, excellent job. Taryn, you had a good thread. Jason Morin, who will be on the podcast, I'm sure, very soon, had his own little viral thread this week with the with the Jerry Jones stuff. So it has been a very big week for conduct, and we thank all of you for continuing to tune in each and every week. And for all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, from Dan Wallach, myself, John Nucci, Taryn Charma, Mike Lawson, Justin Mader. We'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental.